Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to Real Recovery. Today is another special episode. It's another guest interview with the amazing Izzy Blooms. Her Instagram account is at Izzy Blooms and if you are aware of her, if you follow her, you already know what she's all about. She is incredibly honest and open with her mental health struggles on Instagram. She has recently been classed as recovered from anorexia and she is coming on today's episode to talk all about it. She talks about her experience with eating disorder recovery, with treatment, with her other mental health conditions like PTSD and depression and overall it was just a really interesting conversation, really motivating and inspiring and I think the things Izzy says and the strength she shows in overcoming her own struggles and coping with things, I think it will give you some valuable tips and some insights, um, some information and perhaps some things that you can also take and you know, maybe there'll be things that you relate to that you feel less alone with. I just think it was overall a great conversation and she is just amazing and I hope that it inspires you and can almost reassure you and comfort you if you're also struggling. But yeah, today is all about how it feels to be recovered from anorexia, how you can get to that place, the kind of conflicts that might come up. Maybe that was a triggering thing for some people to be recovered or classed as recovered um, but also there's a lot of joy and pride which comes with that and we talk all about these kind of things I've got some questions for her um, it was just a great conversation and I hope you stick around and listen to the whole thing and if you do enjoy it obviously rate review do all that good stuff go check out Izzy um, there'll be some resources and links below which you can have a look at but yeah I hope you enjoy the episode I certainly did it was a great conversation as I said and I really want to thank Izzy for coming on but yeah, let's introduce her, let's get into it, and welcome Izzy on. Hello! Hi! Well, it's it's really great to have you on. We'll just see where this goes. I've got a few questions for you. Would you like to just introduce yourself for everyone listening? Um, just say a little bit about yourself, what you do, and yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, so my name's Izzy. I run an Instagram account called Izzy Blooms that is like mental health recovery and like body acceptance and eating disorder recovery as well yeah so I have recently recovered from anorexia and I also have a bunch of other mental illnesses um like depression PTSD anxiety that kind of thing um but yeah great well yeah so we want to talk about obviously yeah the topic that you have recently been classed as fully recovered from anorexia or recovered and I just was wondering like I want to get your perspective on it what does that mean to you like what does fully recovered or recovered mean to you and how did you feel when you kind of yeah were told that and when you figured that out like I just want to know what your thoughts on yeah so my kind of opinion on recovered is that everyone gets to define it for themselves and I don't think anyone else can define it for you um not even treatment professionals and I don't think there's a blanket thing for everyone so actually a couple weeks before I was classed as recovered I made a post talking about how you know like what recovered was going to look like for me and how to know if you are recovered um and ironically (laughs) a couple weeks after that someone messaged me and was like do you think that maybe you're actually recovered um and like just haven't really thought about it and I did some reflecting. I talked to a couple of different people in my team. Um, and then I kind of concluded because I got to decide whether I thought I was or not. And then everyone just kind of agreed with me because, um, it, you know, it's my choice of what I kind of class as recovered. Um, and on that post that I had made a list of things, I ended up going through it and I kind of ticked off everything 
that I met. I've also got the list here that I can read out. Yeah, brilliant. Go for it. Um, so my kind of like checklist for recovery and also just want to highlight that everyone's is completely different. So yours might not look anything like mine and some of the things that I have on it might not at all be relevant for you. Um, so mine was, I was weight restored for my body, complete food freedom with no fear foods or bad foods, um, and a balance of all food groups, the ability to eat out without fear of unknowns or obsessing, obsessively planning before going out. Um, acceptance with my healthy body, even if I have days I dislike it, I can appreciate it for what it does and the life it's given me, Um, not focusing or thinking about um, others' bodies or wishing mine was smaller, Um, missing what my ED gave me rarely or not at all, food body numbers having very little part of my life. Um, Yeah, it's quite a long list. And I honestly, like I hadn't really thought about whether I had – actually done it until someone pointed it out they were like can I share an observation with you and I was like yes go for it um and they said it and I was like oh my god you actually might be right and then yeah and then I ended up being like yeah no I am and it was like quite a crazy realization for a long time I didn't think recovered was even a thing or possible for me um and I think like acknowledging the fact that getting to a point where you are recovered is actually a privilege because there are so many things that have to be in place, um, you know, for you to be able to get there. And there are so many factors that can like contribute to whether or not, you know, you'll be able to get to whatever version of recovered is for you. In saying that, I do think it's possible for everyone to get to recovered. I just think the definition has to be different for different people, depending on like their circumstance, the access to support they have, um, and like financial stability, housing stability, other comorbid like mental illnesses and disabilities. Like there are so many factors that contribute to whether or not, you know, you're going to be able to do the version of recovered that feels right for you. And I think that's also where it comes into like altering maybe what you want it to look like. Um, Yeah, for sure. No, I, I think it's really great that you read out that list. And I think, well, I can sense that it must have been quite like a proud moment for you, like looking back and realizing like, oh my God, I've come so far sort of thing. And I think it's really, um, yeah, inspiring for people to listen to that and maybe to to watch you and to hear you say that. And also because you are so open with your social media and with the other things that you struggle with to look at that and be like, and it's still possible to get to a very good place with your recovery and to be recovered from anorexia is amazing achievement obviously um so yeah thanks for sharing that and I think to 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 talk about the bigger picture of you and all of the other things you've struggled with which kind of brings me to my next question for you which is it's about how much you are so like open and um honest on your on social media on, on Instagram and I wonder advising other people who maybe also want to share their journey and what they you know deal with and stuff what advice do you have to those people to um or almost like what's your experience with it how has it helped you how has it not helped you and what would you say to other people in a similar position yeah definitely um I've had a complex experience I would say with social media I think for everyone it has its ups and downs but particularly being in the mental health and recovery space you will get backlash. And I think that's just consistent for everyone. Like I said this to someone the other day, it's like people, anyone can find a reason to hate you. Like people literally hate 
funny dog videos. That is how sad some people are. Like if they're like shaming your body, which I've recently actually had quite a bit of, I had a video blow up and yeah, I just had like a lot of body shaming comments and it actually was a really big test for like my recovery and my like stability with it. Cause it definitely, definitely could have, you know, broken me. And I won't say that it won't have, like it didn't get to me because it did. Like you get hundreds of comments calling you all these names that you believe for so long about yourself. Of course, it's going to, you know, make an impact on you. Um, but I've also had like such a positive experience, like particularly through the beginning recovery stage for me, um, the amount of support I got from the community was just like mind blowing. I, when I started recovery, I went through a lot of really bad refeeding symptoms. Um, and having that on top of like the mental stuff of recovery, it was just like so hard. And I didn't think that I was going to get through it. And I just had so much encouragement from people. People were sending me messages and like, there is something like no, I don't think any words can describe the feeling of like getting a message and being like, your vulnerability on the internet has helped me so much um, and like has helped, you know, me get to this point. I've had like messages of people being like, it's really helped me like wear short sleeves with my scars or, um, you know, like talk to my family about my eating disorder. And then it's like yeah, that feeling that you get and like that reward, even like something so painful and horrible, having something so positive um, and like wonderful coming from it has been, yeah, a very surreal experience, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I can understand. And I think it does, it is like a test of your strength, I can imagine, to receive horrible comments when videos and stuff do blow up. But um, yeah, no, you are completely right. You really, people do honestly find, I find your content inspiring and very kind of, most of it very relatable and stuff. And I think, when in previous podcast episodes, I have definitely not bashed recovery influencers. I would never do that, but I've I've sort of pointed out that there are negative aspects of social media when it comes to recovery. And I've also mentioned that there are a subset of people online who who are open about their recovery and their mental health and stuff. And I've I've definitely highlighted that there are really good influencers and influencers out there and you are one of them that comes to mind which is obviously why I've I've invited you on but yeah I just think everyone should go check out your Instagram I will link it in the show notes and I think it is something that if you're struggling with depression or eating disorders and anything really I think yeah your Instagram is valuable in that sense which and it's something you brought up um about scars something I want to ask you another question obviously only if you feel comfortable to answer but I get um a lot of messages from people asking about how to accept their scars and how to be comfortable like you said wearing short sleeves and stuff now I don't I can't answer that personally um and I've actually often directed them to your posts and accounts an account that kind of covers that topic but I just wanted to give you the chance on the podcast to talk about how to accept scars how to deal with them especially like summertime and stuff so what are your thoughts on that so I think having scars is overall a very difficult experience for multiple reasons because there's you know the oh my god they're so visible what am I going to do and then there's oh they're not visible enough um I'm not bad enough I'm not sick enough I need to do worse and I'm not valid because they aren't as visible And I think for the people whose scars aren't as visible, it's really important to remember that, you know, 
the severity of, and I say severity as terms of like medical severity of, you know, someone's like self-injury is, isn't correlated with the emotional pain that you have to be in to harm yourself. And I think that no matter what, no matter, you know, whether you have to go to the hospital for it or whether it like barely scars, the fact that you're at the point where you want to harm yourself should be enough for anyone and everybody to listen to you. And in saying that, there's a lot of people who are in so much pain and don't end up self-harming as well. And you are just as valid if you're in that boat as well. Um, And then when it comes to the people with more visible scars, you definitely, you will deal with comments from people. And I think that is because a lot of people are, I would say, kind of scared of the topic of self-harm because it's, quite hard to understand if you've never experienced it, particularly for someone who hasn't experienced any mental health issues. Um, You know, it doesn't really make sense to our human brain why you'd want to physically injure yourself. So I think a lot of people's responses to scars is predominantly like not understanding and fear. So you will definitely get people who are, quite frankly, a-holes about it. (laughs) Um, And in dealing with that, like in my experience, um, it I mean, it always got to me, particularly like at the beginning when I started wearing short sleeves because I was super ashamed of them. Um, it's just a reminder that like they just have no idea what it went through. And like at that moment when you're self-harming, the last thing you're thinking of is whether it's going to scar. Like I wrote a poem about that like not so long ago and I was like, so many people were like, as if you're doing the action and like you're in so much pain that you're resorting to hurting yourself and you're thinking about wow I wonder what people are going to think about you know when they see my scars like no one thinks that literally no one it's not like this intentional thing and I don't know really anyone who's like oh my god look at me I have scars like most people feel some degree of like shame or you know wishing that they didn't have them like I accept mine now and I still, you know, would prefer not to have them. Um, and, yeah, like my process of starting wearing short sleeves was quite gradual. Um, and I started doing it, like, on leave from treatment. And majority of people don't notice or don't care. The amount of people that you get comparatively to the people that notice, stare and say things, like there's still a huge disparity. It's just that we, you know, notice when people notice more because it's kind of like a more of a big deal for us. Um, and when people do, I think like it's totally up to you on what you say. You get to decide how honest you are. Like I have literally said, oh, a dragon bit me. Like literally the most random stuff because at the end of the day, like what right does this stranger have to know what happened? right exactly absolutely yeah and like I worked in the healthcare field for a while which I found quite difficult because I couldn't wear a long sleeve it was just like not an option um when you're in a caring role it's a very different experience having like your patient be like oh what are they um and that's like another time where I think it's totally up to your discretion like for me I wasn't really, I didn't say what it was in that situation. Um, Like in times I've said that I was in a car crash, I often go with that with kids because kind of immediately makes them like not say anything. And I, there are a lot of the times I don't think that kids need to know what it is. Like 
they're kind of too young for that. Um, and I think it gets easier the more you do it. And all scars will fade to a degree, you know, whatever visibility that is, is going to differ. But it does get easier the longer you do it. People will start commenting less. The people around you will know that you have them. And it will just become like, oh, yeah, Izzy has scars, but I don't think about that. Yeah. And, like, people you work with, same thing. Everyone just kind of gets used to it. And then you only really have to deal with, like, strangers saying things. And, like, honestly, if a stranger says something, you can just turn and walk away. You don't even have to say anything. You can literally just be like, bye. Um, And it's just, like, once again, not a reflection on you or your body. It's a reflection on the fact that society is still very ignorant when it comes to scars and stuff. Exactly. Well, I think that was very well put. And I think, yeah, everyone just has their different coping mechanisms and you don't pick them, you don't choose them. And it's like you just said not a reflection on you or your personality or you as a human being it's just what you've the card you've been dealt and you can manage as best you can but I mean from the perspective of the friend of someone with scars because many of my friends do struggle in that way um yeah I've never like been judgmental never kind of I think I probably have slightly more understanding than the average person just because I've struggled with other mental health things but yeah, um, which kind of, yeah, brings me to another question, which is how can friends help when it comes to things like eating disorders and self-harm and any kind of mental health issues? Like what what advice do you have to the friends of those people and also um, parents and caregivers who listen to the podcast? How can they help their loved ones in these kind of situations? Just briefly a few points that people maybe have done for you that you found helpful. Yeah, I actually recently made a post on this. So it's all very fresh in my brain. Great. I think the biggest thing is being calm when they tell you about it. Um, I Like I said, I think there's a lot of fear around it. So I think just being really calm and just being like, okay, thank you for telling me. Um, that made a big difference. People who made really big reactions made me feel really like, I don't know, scared and being like, oh, my God, what have I done? Why have I told them? Um, listening, biggest thing, and also like looping them in, like with family particularly, like with something like self-harm, Ideally, you'd like med- someone medically to check it. And I don't ever think someone should be forced to do that. I don't think it should be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, drop you off at the office, but I'm not going to tell you that you're going there. Like actually looping them in in the conversation and being like, I really think we need to do this. Um, I, you know, I think it needs to be looked at. And obviously there is the exception for like really, you know, bad situations where it's like, no, like you have to go to hospital kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But majority of cases, majority of the time, it's like actually listening to them, hearing what they want to do and encouraging them. That made, I think, the biggest difference for me. Um, Yeah, and just like honestly being there and not forcing them to tell you things that they don't want to tell you. Like listen listen to them and also make sure that you're reassuring them that, you know, it's okay and that you're going to be there for them. Yeah, there's also this really great resource. Um, I think it's called Lifeline Toolkit, and I really encourage everybody to go have a look at it. Um, they have a like big self harm toolkit that literally goes through how to support um your child going through it, 
examples of things to say, understanding self-harm, um, understanding, you know, why people do it and the experiences that they're having. Like, so helpful. I found it the other day and I was like, I needed this. What, why was this not around? So, honestly, go have a look at that um, if you want, like, more information of what to do. And I think eating disorders is pretty much the same thing, really, right? It's just, yeah. like, listening, being calm and encouraging yeah. them as yeah, yeah. No, that sounds like a really amazing resource. And if you send me the link in an email, I'll link it down below so everyone listening can go check that out. But um, yeah, no, that sounds really, really helpful. I'll have a look at that. And I want to thank you, honestly, for over the months and years, I suppose, you have posted a lot of information about self-harm and stuff specifically. And I have read it and found it really, really helpful to help and, you know, understand my friends and loved, one going, loved ones going through it. So I really do thank you for being so honest about it because not many people online do um, talk about that at all. And yeah, I just want to thank you for that. And you're right, like eating disorders kind of similar as when you want to support someone, be calm because it's very true. Like when when the person you're telling starts freaking out, you're like, oh no, I can't, I'll have to stop. And you don't want to open up anymore. And then obviously, yeah, it's just not particularly helpful. But um yeah I want to circle back to kind of the the topic of the episode which is about you recently being recovered from anorexia and I was wanting to know was there any conflict of emotions because I know that people have messaged me in the past saying that they've just been you know clusters recovered their doctors told them they're recovered or maybe they've weight restored and they think they're recovered but they've still got the mental aspect and it can be quite almost a triggering experience. Was there any of that kind of conflict for you? And if so, or if not, how how did you get to that point where there wasn't any kind of triggering inner conflict going on? Definitely. I definitely, when it first kind of came up, like my immediate feeling was like, holy, can I swear on you? Yeah, of course, go ahead. <laughs> like, holy shit, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Um my coping skill my identity it's gone I don't have it what am I supposed to do and like in saying that like I've got a lot of other mental illnesses that I'm still recovering from but my eating disorder just became such a big identity for me so I was just like immediately panicked because I was like what am I supposed to do now um and then I kind of thought about it and I was like I haven't used it to cope in a long time now and I've been okay without it. I am not the person with an eating disorder. I've never been a person, you know, the person with an eating disorder. I had an eating disorder, but that is not who I am. Um, and that was a hard kind of thing to come to. And I did have to speak to my treatment team about it um, because I was, yeah, immediately quite freaked out. I also think like there was like the um, automatically the feeling of like needing to go back um, because you know, you're never really going to feel balanced enough. Like there is no sick enough as we, I feel like we've, everyone's talked about a lot. Yeah. But even like when you, when I heard that, I heard from someone else saying that they, you know, maybe that I was recovered. Um, before I'd even made that decision, I was like, okay, no, I'm too, like, I'm too far. I need to go back. I need to be worse. No one wanted me to get worse. There was no expectation from anyone. Everyone was just like overjoyed from me. Um, but I still automatically wanted, you know, the so-called validation that you get from yeah. eating the disorder. 
And like for me, that was really trauma-based because I was being cared for, even though, you know, a lot of the care I received wasn't great. There was still that like level of like, oh, wow, you know, people really care about like what's going on with me. Um, so I automatically had that. I was like, oh my God, people aren't going to care about me now. People, no one's going to want anything to do with me. I'm not going to have any support for my treatment team. Um, everything's just going to disappear because I am now recovered. That was like not at all what happened. Everyone was really happy for me. And then they were like, okay, great. We've, you know, gone to a point with that. And what that now allows me to do is work on everything else, work on my PTSD, go through my trauma, which are things that I couldn't do whilst I was like deep in my ED or even like early stages of recovery. It was more of a stepping stone than anything else. And whilst, you know, I had so many emotions, like good and bad about it, I think like overall I felt... I think joy and also just like relieved because it was like, oh my God, I actually did it. Yeah. Um, particularly because I feel like so much of it was hard and it felt like a really long journey. Um, and yeah, that was a really long time where I didn't think that I was going to make it out of it. And yeah, the fact that I did was just like crazy to me. So I had like a bit of like euphoria period for like a week and I made myself a big cake and I was like, Telling everyone, I was like, guys, I'm recovered from anorexia. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I was literally, I was just so, like, happy. And, yeah, it was just, like, the most, like, proud moment. Because I haven't, I don't really know many people who are actually, like, no. recovered from anorexia. No. Um, I haven't really spoken to many people um, with it. So it's just, like, yeah, it was a crazy experience. Particularly because I didn't even think it was possible for most of my life. Like, it was just, yeah, it was it was a very surreal experience. I think it's amazing, honestly. And you should be so proud of yourself because, and everyone who has reached that point where they can say that they're recovered, honestly, it's it's not enough words to describe how much you have to go through to get to that point. But no, that's honestly amazing. And I think what you said about um, the kind of initial piping up of, oh no, this means I'm now invalid and I won't have that care and support. I think that's completely common, almost universal. Everyone is probably going to relate to that on some level. Um, and I think yeah, it's just super important to remember that your state now does not discount your history of an eating disorder. So if you are in a place now where you're actually good and you're actually doing all right, that doesn't mean that everyone around you has suddenly forgotten everything you went through. And that doesn't mean that you now can just disregard all of the coping skills that you might still need to use and it doesn't mean you can stop caring for yourself and stop getting support from others you still need all that you just are in a slightly different place which is amazing um and yeah I think turning that kind of initial uh freak out into just joy and um relief like you said I think that's just amazing and I think to everyone listening um it's a great perspective and it's a great way to go about this moment in time if you are relating to it but yeah what you mentioned about treatment and stuff so I watched your reel the other day when you kind of talked everyone through your history and your story um of struggling with mental health and stuff and you did mention that you went through very like flawed treatment and then now you're in a really good place we have a really good treatment team and I was just wondering if you want to talk about a bit about obviously only what you're comfortable with but what do you wish could have been different when you were dealing with treatment that wasn't great versus what is really helpful for you now yeah so um I actually have a lot of trauma from treatment now um 
I that's like a combination of general mental health and eating disorder I was really with a really terrible public team for a long time um and they were just horrible about my eating disorder like some of the comments they said they were just like I was originally diagnosed with atypical anorexia and so yeah the response that I got to that was just like pretty terrible um and there was like that pursuit of like constantly needing to be worse predominant like predominantly because I wanted to prove to all of my treatment professionals that were treating me at the time that you know I didn't just have you know what in my head was fake anorexia I you know was actually sick and like then I changed treatment teams which like changed so much for me and I am incredibly privileged to be able to move to the private system um And they just, like, were so validating. I think also, like, my eating disorder was kind of a manifestation of things. It was, like, how I cope. Similar with self-harm. It's just, like, I was kind of jumping from strategy to strategy. So I think that actually, like, getting to a point where I was recovered from anorexia wouldn't have been possible unless people acknowledged the fact that the reason that I had anorexia wasn't, you know, just because I had anorexia. It was because I had all this trauma that I was trying to cope with. And for a long time, that just wasn't acknowledged. Um, yeah, I think also like a lot of people will have experienced a lot of invalidation from treatment professionals. Um, I don't think this matters what your diagnosis is or what your weight is, because I think everybody in treatment experiences at some point. Um, and f- like this really, really fueled my ED for a very long time. Um And even mentally, when I changed treatment teams and I became, you know, with a really good treatment team, I still had times with that. Like I remember um, I have POTS, which is like a kind of heart condition. I went to the cardiologist and they were like, oh, it's fine. You've just got atypical anorexia. And I was like, what? I was so incredibly triggered by that. And I like left and I was like, he's right. It's not real. Like, um, yeah, it was a bit of a disaster, but it didn't matter. Like, no matter what way I was at, there was always someone who was going to invalidate me because you're either not sick enough or you're too sick for treatment. It's, yeah. you know, I feel like there's rarely an in-between where it's seen. So a lot of my treatment, particularly, like, on my recovery this time, was self-directed. Um, and my treatment team just kind of listened to me and were like, yeah, okay, like, we can do that, we can do that. Um, I also, like, a lot of things fell into place for me before I started um recovery like I've experienced homelessness and like housing instability so I moved in safe accommodation for like safe appropriate accommodation for like pretty much the first time in my life and I also got access to the treatment that I needed so I think like my not only yeah like having a bad treatment team I think the fact that I also had a newfound like stability and um like financial stability and housing stability made such a difference um, to just like my overall treatment yeah. because without that it's really hard to do anything when, you know, your basic needs aren't met. It's like how are you even supposed to think about it yeah. when, you know, struggling in so many ways? So, yeah, I think my biggest my biggest difference was just like actually people listening to me more than anything yeah. was people listening, hearing me and allowing me to do what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that kind of highlights how important it is to feel in control of your own recovery and your own like life 
kind of trajectory um but yeah it's kind of scary how many people experience the invalidation from professionals like I mean I can't relate on every single level but I remember feeling so trapped in my eating disorder because of the dietitian and like meal plans and stuff I feel so invalid if I would like eat over the meal plan and I felt I had to kind of almost like uphold this weird like I don't know it shouldn't be that way you shouldn't feel forced to continue to restrict by a dietitian not that I was but I felt that way yeah I think that's such a big thing with um, meal plans and I mean that's like the problem area with it when I did recovery kind of this time around like I ditched the meal plan I was like nah I'm not doing that and that doesn't work for everyone but like I went through a period of like extreme hunger um and if I had tried to do a meal plan I would have gone insane like quite literally I would not have coped and even like previous times where I've been put on a meal plan it doesn't always work because sometimes you are just hungrier like hungry I don't but (laughs) more hungry (laughs) sometimes you know you can't you can't adhere to that and I don't think there should be any shame in doing that and like I there are a lot of treatment professionals that I found that I thought was great was that meal plan is the absolute minimum like meal plan it's not maximum it is minimum yeah I'm not even words right anymore (laughs) um and like going in with that mentality because otherwise like like you said like so many people feel like they have to eat less to adhere to their team's rules yeah like I don't think there's a right way to do recovery and I think treatment professionals so often push this like no it's my way or the highway you have to do it like this when like what worked for me the most was you know getting some autonomy over what I was going to do and how I was going to approach it which a lot of people, you know, don't have access to. And also I think sometimes it's not actually safe for people to have access to because they feel too, you know, disordered in the way that they're thinking. It's very difficult for the professional, I suppose, to kind of know which way like to push or to let you take the driving seat. Um, But I do remember it was just like there was the expectation that I wouldn't manage everything where in actual fact, like, once I had reached the point where I was like committed to recovery and weight gain, I was perfectly capable of, you know completing my meal plan and then some so I don't think there was I almost felt like they expected me not to and I was like right well in that case I can't and it was like that's just not helpful and I actually I think I do work work quite well with the meal plan so I don't mind a meal plan but I think yeah like you said it needs to be the minimum it needs to be kind of clear that that is in place or you do kind of get trapped in the kind of can't go over this can't I can't do that which is just not helpful when you have anorexia you kind of want the opposite so so I think that comes into like it's so individual right yeah, like so some individual. people without a meal plan it would not work at all yeah. and for some people meal plan you know and like what I used was a guide of a meal plan and then yeah. I did what I kind of thing um and there's been previous times where a meal time was a meal plan was absolutely necessary for me yeah. because that's what I needed my hunger cues weren't back properly and I needed that guidance but I think that's like another thing like collaborating with your team is so important yeah like say in you know what happens and also listening to them and being like okay what do you think yeah absolutely and I think if you really do need that kind of input medically which at some points I did and I'm very grateful well I wish I'd actually listened sooner but I'm grateful that I did kind of pay attention you know to things like oh you need more calcium you need this and the other because you actually do but um, yeah. yeah, I think weirdly at the beginning of recovery was the time when I needed the meal plan the least. 
because yeah. I was actually really hungry whereas like now nowadays honestly and previously I feel I feel like the meal plan is helpful because it keeps me going keeps me give, having that structure um but yeah it's just interesting it, like you said it's so individual obviously like we've kind of covered you've been very open about your other mental health issues like depression and PTSD and stuff I was wondering what's your advice to people and how do you kind of cope with different things um are there any particular skills you use to manage like other issues and how does that affect your eating disorder recovery and how does being recovered now how does that impact your other issues if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely um so with I think my biggest kind of struggle particularly at the moment um is still PTSD symptoms um and that for a really long time, like my way to numb and not experience them was by using my eating disorder. Like that was a really big thing for me was like not experiencing flashbacks, not experiencing um, nightmares and stuff because I was just like too numbed out, too malnourished to be able to even experience something like that. So I think particularly initially in the initial stages of recovery, it was really hard because everything kind of came back in full swing and I couldn't just automatically be like, okay, no, I'm just going to numb myself with this. Um, And along the way, I've definitely had to learn a lot more skills to manage when it happens. I am very lucky. I have an assistance dog, so he helps me a lot with flashbacks and nightmares. Um, Honestly, majority of what I do with it is um, like engaging with my treatment team, obviously, but mainly distraction is like my biggest thing that works for me. I also really struggle with insomnia, partially because of the PTSD. Um, And that can be a really hard thing when it comes to eating because your whole day gets skewed. Like recently I've been getting to sleep like ridiculously late, like 1, 2 a.m. And then I was sleeping until 12 and it's like, well, what am I supposed to do with food now? Yeah. And yeah, trying to figure that out, particularly initially, it was like, oh my God, I've got so much I have to make up on. Um, and so like now it's kind of like I combined groups, like <laughs> I combine my food groups. Like for people who struggle with insomnia and end up sleeping in, it's like you either push it all back and you end up finishing eating later, or you start like combining things and having um I don't know like a smoothie whilst also having your lunch yeah um and like adding a dessert an extra dessert onto you know dinner or something like that that made like it was just so helpful having that as an option so that if it did happen and that interfered with it it meant that I knew kind of what to do and I think that's really helpful if you have a treatment team talking to them about you know, how you can go about a situation if your food is all messed up, mixed up. And honestly, I think that happens to everyone in recovery. It's like at some point your meals get all moved around and it's really easy to fix that and be like, no, I need to have breakfast at this time and morning tea at this time. Um, but knowing that there is an option to still have enough food and, you know, it not be like ridiculous, like feeling like you're so full yeah. or something like that or suddenly having to squeeze a whole bunch of meals in you know, in a much smaller period, like there is ways around that. Yeah. And like other things in terms of like depression, um, I do, I've like had more so in the past like nine months since I kind of started recovery. I've had like depressive episodes where I've really struggled to get out of bed and that kind of thing. Um, And at this point, 
you just kind of resort to whatever you can eat. All all food is good food. Whatever you can eat is good. It's a win no matter what. Um, And so, like, even sometimes it's easier to just, like, get up once, make a bunch of food, bring it all back to you and snack on it throughout the day. Absolutely. Life-changing. And, yeah, like, other things, anxiety, like getting nauseous before meals was really hard. I managed that a lot by visiting my doctor and trying to get some, like, medication for that. Um, But also I think, like, allowing yourself a little bit of grace. I'm not saying skip a meal or, you know, give yourself an excuse, do it. But, like, if you feel really sick at the time that you're usually supposed to eat, you're allowed to wait a little bit. Like, it's normal. I, you know, say regular human, like, well, normal humans, but you know what I mean? Someone without an eating yeah. disorder. That's normal for them to do. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, it's breakfast time. I have to eat right now, but I feel really sick. Like, allowing yourself a little bit of grace of, like, I don't actually have to do this perfectly. Like, there isn't. It's, like, another thing. It's, like, not a set way no. to do it. Not a set way to do your meal plan. Um, Yeah. And there are, like, also ways around it. You can't have, like, a specific type of food. Same thing. All food is good food. You know, if you can get in anything at that point when you're feeling really ill, that is a win regardless. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say that they're kind of like the main things that have, you know, made the ED process more difficult. I've also found I'm doing trauma therapy at the moment and that definitely made the urges to engage in eating disorder behaviour stronger because, you know, it was just like heightened everything. And it was just, like, so easy. It was also, like, oh, if I engage in my ED, we're going to be able to continue doing this. It's, like, a little easy way out. Um, but thinking about it, like, like for me, it impacts my so my life so much. And I have spent years too unwell with my eating disorder to be able to deal with it. And it is horrible. I absolutely hate it. But it also is going to be the one thing that allows me to move forward. Like I think particularly with trauma it impacts all of your mental health issues so much. And it's often the root cause for a lot of them. Like for me, I don't feel like all like the rest of my mental illnesses are going to be able to fully get better until I deal with all my trauma because so many of them are contributed by it. Contributed isn't the right word. What is the right word for that? don't know compounded I have no idea (laughs) you're like everyone will know what we mean yeah um yeah did that answer your question yeah no it did and it actually highlights a couple of things um first of all about how important it is to overcome this like food perfectionism and to understand that there are no rules like so many of people listening will also struggle with like feeling nauseous getting insomnia and stuff and just having the option of like it's all right if you have to wait 10 minutes to get in a better space or it's all right if you have to like you said group together stuff so you're getting enough throughout the day um and it also brought up the just hearing you speak about this you, you I can just sense and tell how resilient you are and how like motivated you are and driven to like getting better and to you know dealing with these issues and I think it's something that normal people or people who have never struggled they will underestimate the amount of effort honestly that goes into recovering from any kind of mental health issue and I think it's just ironic that people with depression or anxiety or OCD or any kind of debilitating 
mental illness, they can feel like they're lazy or weak or anything because they're not accomplishing the same amount that someone without these issues have. But honestly, and I think hearing you talk about how you're dealing with things, it kind of just highlights the point that people with these kind of conditions are often incredibly strong. Um, you in particular, just honestly, yeah, it's inspiring to hear how you're, you know, coping and dealing with things and moving forwards. But yeah, I think it's been great speaking to you, honestly. And I have a few more questions, but I don't think we have enough time. So we can just leave it here. And I just want to leave you with, here's the floor. Anything you've written down, you want to bring up, anything you want to say, anything that you think people might want to hear, um, here's your chance to, yeah, let loose. Check my notes. Go for it. I think, like, a really big thing that I wanted to highlight was I think there is such a big push even in the recovery space, um, and I'm also super mindful of doing it on my account of this, like, I did it so you definitely can do it too kind of thing, this mentality of, like, oh, but I did it and I have all of these things, like, you can definitely do it as well. Uh, and I think that this is kind of an unfair thing to put on anyone um, in recovery, and I think we see it so often online, Um in the, particularly I think in the form of like before and after photos it's like oh look how bad I was in this one yeah and I was still able to gain the weight that kind of thing yeah I see what um, you mean. and I think it's just so important to remember like no one is going to have the same situation as you literally no one like they might have similar things but no one is going to be the same and there are just so many factors that come into you know your ability to actually get to a point where you can even think about recovery. And like a lot of people aren't going to have, you know, what I consider a really big privilege of actually even being able to think about that. And I don't think it should be viewed as like a choice or a failure not being able to do that. Um, Because like there is just, there are so many reasons why you might be in that situation. And a lot of them will be out of your control and, So whilst I'm, you know, going on about like, wow, like it's amazing that I'm recovered and I was able to get here. I am a very privileged person. I was able to, you know, get disability support um, that allowed me to access things that, you know, made a huge difference to me getting better. And a lot of people won't have access to that. And that also comes down to like maybe altering and redefining what recovered looks like for you based on, you know, what you have access to and what you're able to do, as well as like other like comorbidities that you have, whether that's physical disability or mental disability. Like it is your choice what recovery looks like. Like mine is, you know, it's going to look completely different to yours. And that is okay. It's also okay if you're not at the point where you feel like ready to get better. That isn't a personal failure. There are a lot of things that I had to line up for me to even be able to consider it. Um, And, yeah, like, I don't think just because I did it, I believe everyone can do it, but that doesn't mean, you know, because of my situation automatically means that you're going to be able to do it as easily or the way that I did it. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does, and I I think it's really great that you've mentioned that, actually, because I've honestly never really heard anyone speak about it. I haven't really thought about that, to be honest, from that kind of perspective. Yeah, I think it's... It's so true. And everyone, I guess, is at completely different stages. There's going to be people who are still very much trapped in the eating disorder who haven't even contemplated recovery. And then maybe they see something or hear something or read something which can push them in that direction. But maybe they're not there yet. Or maybe, 
like you said people don't have access to certain things um and I think it's just yeah important to kind of understand and empathize with those people and help them get what they need and tweak things and find ways that work for them and yeah like you said redefine what what it means for them um compared to other people I suppose yeah not everyone will be the same but I also think that what you have gone through and, and the things you share about they do kind of provide inspiration for people who've also been through very very difficult things because there is no undermining the difficult things that you have been through I personally have not been through such difficult things in my past which obviously I'm very grateful for um so for me to look to you as someone for inspiration I think there's also a role for that as well so yeah it's just a really interesting point not to force your version of recovery on someone else and to give the gross that maybe they're you know need to deal with it in a different way I think it's a great point thank you yeah okay well it's been great and honestly thanks so much for coming on thank you so much for having me it's been lovely to chat with you um yeah I'm very grateful to even have a platform so I hope you enjoyed the episode that is the end and I want to thank Izzy again for coming on and speaking with me I had a great time and I hope you guys found it you know interesting useful valuable all that stuff um and I just want to let you know that recovery is possible and as we've said and highlighted here it's individual and I just hope that you are doing the best that you can and I'm wishing you the best for the week I hope you have a great week and thank you so much for listening